So yes, through the, uh, hopefully throughout the service, you've been picking up on this theme of friendship. And uh, so that, and that is the theme here from John 15, 9 through 17. Those are the verses today. And uh, we're going to be considering Jesus, your greatest friend. And uh, we're, we're, with that, we're going to talk a bit about the, the nature of friendship. What does God teach us about friendship? And what does it mean to be friends uh, for us, too, in this life? And uh, I think uh, all of us have observed that friendships come uh, sometimes in the strangest, they can form in the strangest places, sometimes with the oddest, uh, unexpected people, sometimes. Uh, I think of a friendship that's meant a lot to me is uh, my friend Dayton. And Dayton and I met uh, in the Navy recruiting school in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, we found out there, it's a three-week school, we found out while we were there together, that we were both coming to recruit in Minnesota. So that was, that was immediate common connection right there. But we also very quickly discovered we were both devout Christians. But beyond that, you might not expect that we would be natural friends. Uh, he is 14 years older than me, and at that time he had three teenage children. I was a single bachelor. Uh, he is an extrovert who just naturally networks everywhere he goes, and I am an introvert. And so you, we weren't... You wouldn't necessarily expect we would immediately be great friends. Uh, but we had a common approach to life and to living and, and how we do things. And, uh, and we did a lot together. We, our friendship grew as we recruited together. We actually played uh, racquetball several times a week for like three years together. And in all that time, I only won in racquetball matches with him twice. Twice over three years. And he insists, of course, that it must be more. It has to be more. And I, but I'm like, no, when you lose that much, it matters to you a lot when you win. You count it very closely because you're like, no, I, I'm counting all these times I won. Uh, but no, he, he became a, a very dear friend and he had a big part in my wedding. And also his counsel and his wisdom, his insight actually played a big part in, in me recognizing God's call on my life to come to seminary, to become a pastor and, and now be here <laughs> with you. So friendships uh, matter a lot. But the strongest mark of my friendship with Dayton is something that only sailors say to each other. And it's this phrase, I would sail with you. And it's just, it, it, there's so much packed in that phrase. Because basically it's saying, I, I would go to sea with you. I trust you with my life. I will sleep soundly in my bunk below knowing that you are keeping this ship on a safe course. And my question for you is, do you have a friend like that? And are you a friend like that to others? And I hope you, all of you will know that from God's word here that Jesus is that friend for you. He is your greatest friend. So let's read together from John 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, so we're going to have three big ideas here in this text that I'm going to focus on that talk about how Jesus is your greatest friend. Um, but And the first one is that Jesus is your greatest friend because he unconditionally loves you. And we're going to go look at kind of three things about his love for you in this first point. So first of all, Jesus, he unconditionally loves you. He loves you purely for who you are without any thought of what you can do for him or what you can give him. Because he's God. He doesn't need anything. <laughs> um, but he also, he, Jesus compares his love for you with the Father's love for Jesus. So verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus loves you just as God the Father loves Jesus. And now think about this. The love between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. I mean, that has to be the greatest, highest love there could possibly be. I mean, it's beyond our ability to describe it, really. Um, but Jesus does want to give you an understanding of it because he wants you to live in it and to follow his example, too. And so right after Jesus declares this love, Jesus commands you to abide in his love. And abiding in his love is more than just understanding it, being able to define it. He wants you to live in his love for you. It's to be a part of your way of life. And we think about friendships. Friendships are preserved when it is lived. And I think about a group of friends that I have. I've been playing uh, board games with this group of friends for over five years now, and we meet uh, every other Friday night. And, uh, of course, that became very hard with COVID, so we would do Zoom video calls. And then, uh, then I moved to the far remote reaches of Pipestone, Minnesota, and... Okay, not, not really that far, but <laughs> um, and uh, even though they were still meeting all together in person, they still did that extra step to get that video up and include me so I at least video call could still could remotely join them. And so we, we kept that routine, and our friendships gr have grown, really great friendships over the years. And we've come to know each other and the way we think and what, you know, just the uniqueness of each person. So friendships are lived in the routines of life. And Jesus in invites you to live in his love for you in all the routines of your life. And he explains this further. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So in this friendship between you and God, there is a definite place for the keeping of of the commandments. And Jesus is saying that keeping, keeping his commandments is abiding in his love. But then he immediately puts himself there and he, he, com he compares it to how he perfectly keeps the Father's commandments and abides 
in the Father's love. And so this speaks to the harmony between God the Father and God the Son. There's no disagreement about what is to be done or how it's to be done. They're in perfect harmony, perfect unity of will, of what they want and how they should be done. And earlier in the, in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, Jesus says two very interesting things. He says in verse 28, the Father is greater than I am. And in verse 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So Jesus shows his love for the Father by doing his commands. So he, he basically, to paraphrase, he says, what does the Father want? I will make it happen. I will see it done. He also acknowledges God as greater than him. And I don't want to allow any suggestion here that Jesus is anything less than fully God, because God has revealed himself very clearly as three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Scripture speaks very clearly about the unity, the oneness of the Father and Son. But in their relationship between each other, between Father and Son, the Father is the one sending, and Jesus is the one sent. And so, but we, again, going back, there's this harmony, this unity of their, of their relationship, their will. Jesus perfectly does the Father's will out of love for the Father. And we think of our relational dynamics, they're probably uh, very different from that. Um, you could think about your own families. You might probably don't always agree about what should be done or how it should be done. But we show love to others by doing what the other wants, by giving up our will and giving in to the will of those that we can, when we can do it with righteousness and wisdom. I'm not saying give in to the will of others when it's dishonest or foolish, <laughs> but when we, can, when we can do it righteously and wisely, we can work well with others there. And we think of this, okay, kids and parents, we show love to our parents by respecting their will. Uh, but sometimes respecting the will of another, we know, okay, that sometimes that's easier with friends, right? You know, for instance, there might be an activity you really want to do or a place you really want to go to eat, but because your friend really wants the other one, you will go where they want to go because you love your friend. Or if you're... Uh, experience in college was anything like mine, then none of your friends can make up what they want to do at all, ever, and finally you just make an executive decision so that you finally eat before the day ends. But, <laughs> um, but we think of, the, of, the, of how we can show this love, this harmony with each other. Though so Jesus shows us that keeping God's commandments is showing love to God and it is abiding in his love. But notice it does not say earn his love. Your obedience does not earn God's love. Because before you had obeyed a single command, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Before you had obeyed anything. So keeping the commands, it abides in the love that is already there for you from God. But we think about relationships long-term. A relationship cannot long withstand deliberate antagonism, a deliberate pushback. 
and if you're deliberately provoking each other, pushing each other's buttons just to show that you can, then you're sabotaging that relationship. And now I know there's, there are those relationships where sometimes look like insults are their love language. Uh, and, and I know like in every relationship, there's, you have, there's quirks and goofiness in every friendship. But I've seen those, some of those friendships where it looks like their love language is, is insults and barbs, and they have this, this friendly banter back and forth, but it's almost like they're... And, and to an outsider, it almost looks like cruel insults. Uh, but between the two of them, there's this trust. They know it's, neither of them thinks of it's personal. That's almost like they're, they're testing their skills with each other, uh, you know, testing their minds. Um, but if that is you, well, well let me first say first, that is not me. I, that's not, I don't feel built up by that uh, testing of insults or barbs with one another. But if it, that is you, and I don't know any of you well enough to know it, if it is or not, um, but if it is you, you know, wisely, you know, keep that between like-minded people. Don't, uh, don't give a friendly testing insult with someone who can't receive that. Um, because we know if you do something that another person hates, then you're not living in love. You're not abiding in love. And if you do something that you know displeases God, then you're not abiding in his love. So Jesus makes this very clear that, that the keeping of the commandments is about this relationship of love between you and God. And in fact, all of God's commandments are founded on his love for you. Because he goes on to say, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That your joy, that his joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus tells you to keep his commandments so that his joy may be in you. They are meant for your good. They're from God's heart of love toward you. And his command to you is to love your neighbor as he has loved you. So, so there's this string of, of relationships. God the Father loves God the Son, and just as that, just like that love, Jesus loves you. And just like Jesus loves you, you are to love your neighbor. And this sounds maybe a little familiar because it, it sounds a lot like the great commandment, uh, which is what we find in Matthew 22, starting in verse 26. And a, a Pharisee asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And did you catch that last phrase? On these depend all the law. So he's saying that, that the, the underlying principle behind all the law and the prophets is love for God and love for neighbor. So that means that every law that God gave is, is really a specific application of his love for you or a way to love your neighbor. So God's defined for us what love means and what it looks like. And so that means we don't get to just take, you know, the, the command, love your neighbor, 
and then go redefine what love means as, as it pleases us. He's made it very clear what it is. And Jesus says that keeping God's commandments is loving your neighbor. Now, it's possible, as we know, to, to keep the letter of those laws without love in your heart. And in fact, Jesus strongly condemned the Pharisees for that very problem. But Jesus did not throw out the law just because some people lacked love. Uh, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you're going to be a true friend of someone, you will direct them towards what is truly good. Even if they don't want to hear it sometimes. But Proverbs teaches us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So a true friend acts in the best interest of the other person, even when it's sacrificial, when it costs something to yourself. And that leads us to Jesus' teaching on the greatest love. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest love is to lay down your life for another. And some of the greatest examples of this come from the military. We think of our, the brave sailors and soldiers and airmen and marines who risk their lives to save others. And uh, in the Navy, most ships are named after a sailor who showed that kind of sacrificial love, who risked their own life. And uh, one of the ships that I served on while I was in the Navy was the USS Ford, and it was named after Patrick Osborne Ford. And he, was, uh, he served on a river patrol boat in Vietnam. And so just like four guys, three or four guys on these boats, and they, they were on the river doing a patrol, and they got hit by rockets, and their, sh their patrol boat got, was lost control. It's drifting deeper and deeper into enemy fire. It's getting more and more dangerous to be there. The other two sailors are badly shot, and Ford lowers each one of them down into the water so that they can swim away. But then he goes up on to the gun mount of the boat, and he returns fire to the enemy. He, so he basically he says, hey, everybody, shoot at me. That's what he's doing there. That's what he did in that act. He was telling all the enemies to shoot at him while the other two sailors got to slip away. And he gave his life. He was killed in action there. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. And in many places we honor veterans who have done that and, and the, who gave their lives so that others could live. But if the, so if the greatest love, then, is to give your life for another, to give your life for a friend, 
And the greatest example of this is Jesus Christ, who not only gave his life for his friends, he gave his life for his enemies. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This is the radical love of Jesus. This is why he is called the friend of sinners. But we shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus himself said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance. Jesus came to save his enemies. He took the bullet for his enemies, for those who were not abiding in the Father's love, those who rejected the friendship of God and chose to hate God. Those are who Jesus came for. Jesus is your greatest friend because of his unconditional love for you. Because while we were enemies, Jesus loved us just as the Father loved him. And he loved you to the point of death on a cross so that your sins are forgiven. And Jesus now, he calls you to abide in his love for you and to abide in that love by keeping all his commandments and also to love your neighbor just as God has loved you. But we don't do this as slaves. We do this as friends. And this brings us to the, the second point, how Jesus is the greatest friend. And these are much shorter points than, <laughs> than the first one. <laughs> I wanted to reassure you there that we are not one-third of the way through. We are nearly done. But <laughs> so um, Jesus is your greatest friend because he reveals the heart and mind of God to you. Verses 14 and 15. See, we're just getting to 17 and we'll be done. So 14 and 15. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus says, if you do what he commands you, then you are his friends. But this obedience is not... It is not slavish fear. It's an obedience of friendship because Jesus has made known the Father's will to you. And you have a common cause now. You are for the same thing. You are friends. And a slave, a slave is not told what the mission is for. A slave is just told what they need to do, and that's it. And sometimes, uh, as, as parents... We do something similar. I'm sure we've all used the, you know, parent, children, how, how recently have you heard the phrase, do it just because I said so? 
I'm pretty sure I've, I've used that phrase myself, guilty as charged. I've used that very recently. Uh, just do it because I said so. I don't. Um, and sometimes we use that because the child is so young that they can't understand the reasons for, for why this needs to happen or why it is urgent. They just need to listen. But when the child is older, when the child is older, then you explain it to them, you enlighten them, you share with them the plan. And likewise with friends, a friend is you share your plans with your friends. The, a friend is brought into the plan. You don't keep a friend in the dark. The leader shares his intentions, his plans with his friends. And Jesus is the one who reveals to you the heart and mind of God. He reveals, so he treats you as friends. He shows you God's plans. I want to read uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus says, I am treating you like friends because all that I heard from the Father I have shared with you. I haven't kept anything back. He's disclosed to you the whole mind and heart of God. And think about this. I mean, think, have you ever collaborated on a, on a special project with a friend that, and a type of project that both of you were excited about? And it could have been a surprise party or an art project or a construction project or a road trip. I mean, pick your thing but there, and think back to that and think how it was special because both of you appreciated it. And because both of you loved and appreciated it, it, it freed you to enjoy it more because the other person enjoyed it and was excited about it too. And in Christ, God is sharing the heart of God with you. He's sharing his, his great love for broken and lost people and his plan to redeem them in Christ Jesus. So friends share their minds with each other, and it is Jesus who shares with you the mind of God. We also think here that friends, or we, we see here in the text, I should say, that friends choose each other. Jesus is your greatest friend because he chose you. Verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So in all our relationships, there's, there's some things we can choose and some we can't choose. You know, you can't choose uh, who goes to your school or who is the same age as you in your grade or who sits in your class or who's on your sports team or, or even who lives in your neighborhood and who lives next door to you. There's so many things you cannot choose. But one place you do exercise great choice is friends. So someone has to say, has to go to the other person and introduce themselves and ask about the other person 
and say, hey, what are you doing? What interests you? What, you know, tell me about yourself. Someone has to choose to befriend the other person. And then that person has to choose to be a friend back. Um, I think we've all experienced the, you know, hey, you try to, be, to befriend someone and they just don't really, they don't really take it. They don't, don't seem really <laughs> interested. Um, but how great it is when you befriend someone and they return that and befriend, they choose to befriend you. And really, when we think about long friendships, the ongoing choice, really, for that whole life of that friendship is an ongoing choice to be friends. Because not all friendships last forever in the same, to the same degree. Sometimes they're closer and sometimes they're farther because people move away or people change interests or people get married and have kids. Um, I mean, all these things that, um, that force us to, to prioritize our relationships and, we, and you have to choose to maintain that friendship. And, the, and both of you have to choose it, right? Like when, to keep that friendship both people have to choose to stay friends. And the great thing we see about God is that he chose you. He chose to redeem you in Christ Jesus. He chose to make you his friend. And in that choice, we see so much of God's grace towards us because it's based on nothing that you did to earn his friendship. He just chose to be you to be his friend. And he, before, because before you knew he was there, before you were ever looking for him or seeking him, he chose to reveal himself to you. He chose to redeem you and his son, Jesus Christ, and make you his friend. And that's a choice that, that doesn't change. It's not going to go back. We think about our human friendships, and sometimes, you know, but both, not both people choose to keep that friendship. But with God, you never have to wonder, will he choose to keep this friendship with me. No, he always chooses to keep you as his friend in Jesus Christ. And he chose you to join him in his plan to redeem humanity in Christ Jesus. And he chose you so that your life would thrive with the life of God, so that your life would bear fruit, the kind of fruit that remains and abides forever. And he chose you so that whatever you ask the Father in his name, the Father will give to you. And just pause and think about that, that statement, that promise of Jesus. Whatever you ask the Father in his name, he will give to you. Just think about the heart of God then, his attitude towards you, that that is, it's all just generosity and gracious giving. That is his heart toward you. When God looks at you as his friend, he looks at you the same way as he looks at Jesus. He says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And none of that's your doing. It's because your life is hidden with Christ. So the, the righteousness and holiness of Christ, the perfect obedience of Christ, Christ's perfect abiding in the Father's will, all that is yours because you are in him. And so he wants you to know you have an ally. You have a champion. You are loved. And he did this so that you may know you are a friend of God chosen by him. And as a friend of God, you can now be a true friend to others. And you can point other people to their truest friend, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.
Praise be to his name. Amen.